Hello, gorgeous soul. I'm Diane Bell, and this is the Aim from the Heart podcast, your weekly dose of tips, techniques, strategies, and inspiration to help you live a life beyond your wildest dreams. If you're ready to use the art of intentional manifestation to create more freedom, more joy, more abundance, and more bliss in your life, you are in the right place. Grab a cup of tea, pull up a chair, and let's have some fun. I am so glad you're here today. Let's do this. Hello, gorgeous soul, and welcome to episode eight of the Aim from the Heart podcast. Today, I have a really special interview for you. This is a conversation that I had with Joanna Hunter. Joanna is a Scottish medium and spiritual business coach, and she is just an incredible woman and an incredible friend to me. She was actually my personal one-to-one coach for quite a long time and I would definitely credit her with helping me create my dream result of moving to Spain. When I first started working with Joanna, I was just dreaming of making this move and it seemed so far out of reach and we worked together really closely and she is a magical woman (laughs) as you're about to hear. I know you're going to get so much out of this. It is a longer episode but honestly once you get into it I think you'll realize why and I thought about cutting it down but I was like actually there's just so much gold here. There's so much gold. Joanna really is speaking from source and really shares some incredible truths and some incredible wisdom and some incredible inspiration for you in this episode. Now, I have some also very exciting news about this because in it you're going to hear us talking about something called the Million Dollar Experiment, which is something she ran a couple years ago that I just thought was the coolest thing and I didn't actually get to do it because I heard about it after it already started. And you're going to hear about it and what it is, but I have just heard that Joanna is starting a new million dollar experiment. So listen to this episode and then sign up. Check out the show notes and get in because it is happening again. I am so excited. So please enjoy this episode. Get yourself a cup of tea or pop in your earbuds. Honestly, you're going to love this as you hear about the story of Joanna, this incredible woman who has gone from being on welfare in Scotland to creating the life of her dreams. Enjoy. I am so excited today to welcome to our podcast, Aim From The Heart, Joanna Hunter. And I'm just so thrilled that she's one of the very first guests here because it feels so right and so perfect for me to have her here. If you don't know Joanna, she is a Scottish medium and spiritual guide. And she is also the author of two incredible books, The Million Dollar Experiment, which I have here, and Get Selfish, which I did have, but which I gave away. And by the way, every single time that I give away a book, it's a sign that it's a fantastic book. It means there was something that I felt really called to pass on and Get Selfish is just spectacular. She also has written three gratitude journals. I believe three. Is that correct? There is three altogether, but one's lighter print at the moment. Okay, so there's two gratitude journals and also an oracle deck, which I'm very interested in as well. And besides from that, she also has a whole number of courses and programs to help people live incredible lives. I am so excited to talk to you, Joanna. And just as a heads up, like just as a full disclosure, Joanna was actually my coach for quite a while. And that's why I'm particularly excited to have her here today because I'm sitting here right now recording this in my home in Spain. But when I hired Joanna as my coach, I was in Denver, Colorado, and I was in my basement and I was speaking to her and saying, I have this dream and I don't know how to make it happen. <laughs> and, 
And literally within a year, I suppose it was like, yeah, just just over a year later, I made this move. And I can't even begin to say how grateful I am to you, Joanna, for helping me manifest this. I know. I'm so chuffed right now because, you know, it's like this ice is the cake. Seeing you sat there with your beautiful tropical sun and we've had a little look outside your window and oh my God, it's living inside our dreams, that is what it's all about in life. And the fact that we can manifest these things and create these things using consciousness, that's what gets me so excited. And, you know, this is where you're sitting right now. It's a testament to the shift in your consciousness and the shift in what you allowed in. Because I think a lot of people think, I'm going to get that move. I'm going to get that, you know, um, for maybe your audience, I'm going to get that role or I'm going to get that script sold. We don't get anything, really. It's an illusion that we're getting something. The truth is we're allowing it. We're allowing it in. And you've allowed like so much goodness in. And just hearing you and how happy you are in Spain and, and the life that you're creating there. Oh, my God. It's just like emotional. Well, I'm <laughs> so grateful because I just remember literally... I think in our first call, you were like, mm-hmm. what is it that you want? What are you going after? And I said, I have this dream and I don't know how to make it happen. It seems so far-fetched and so impossible at that time. Yeah. And I think that I, I would just like to say, and we're going to dive into obviously your story in just a moment, but something I remember really that landed was in that very first call. And what I love about you was, yes, there was this whole like manifestation magic side, but you were also like, okay, it's time to get real about this. I don't know if you remember this, but you said like, yep. I want you to figure out actually exactly how much it's going to cost you to make this move. Like how much do you actually really need? Do you remember saying this? Absolutely. Like, that is how you anchor something that is in the unseen realm into the seen realm, right? Because if we can price it, we now have something that is tangible to us in the seen realm. When we've got these big, big dreams and they're floating about in the ether untethered, what you do is by pricing it, you place a tether that is anchored into the scene world. And that's how we like, have you ever seen that Bruce Almighty where he's pulling on the moon? Oh, yeah. <laughs> or it's closer. That's literally what we did. Yeah. I love it. So thank you so much because I wouldn't be here without you where I'm sitting today. I'm so grateful. Oh, I'm so excited. Yeah. So please, let's begin by just, I want to hear about you and how you came to be here. Because I know that Joanna Hunter has not always been the incredible, powerful leader of light that maybe that we see you as today. So can you tell me a little bit about how you came to be like having this business, writing these books, helping people in the way that you do? So I moved to the UK or I moved to Scotland and my dad's Scottish, my mum's Swedish. So I moved from Stockholm when I was about 10 years of age to Scotland. I moved from a large capital city, Stockholm, that's very vibrant, very multicultural, uh, to Little Inverness. I think the population was about 35,000 people at that point. (laughs) My mum likened it to moving from 1984, which was the year that we moved to move into from 1984 to 1954. And so it was a bit of a culture shock. And obviously people in Scotland, uh, uh, back of that day, not to, not to slag off Scotland too much because she is one as well, but uh, they'd, they had not really heard of like any kind of gourmet food or anything like that. So it was all like kind of shop. <laughs> 
I think my mom was going to crack up because she was used to having literally the world on her doorstep in Stockholm in 1984. And, and when they move into, like, it was like a couple of greasy spoons and a couple of chip shops. So it was, it was crazy. So we moved here and then um, I went, you know, grew up, went to school, all the things. Um, I started my first, my first ever job was really with McDonald's, like hamburgers. Um, and in a way, I felt really lucky that I, I got a job with them when I was just 15. And um, and I, one of the things with McDonald's that I've always appreciated is that they, other organizations look at your age. And in McDonald's, what I felt, and certainly in the restaurant that I worked in, was that they looked at your ability. So by the time I was 16, I was in management. And by the time I was at 17, I was doing local store marketing for them. So that's where I cut my teeth on marketing was at the helm of McDonald's. And then at 19, I walked straight into a management position in a big department store. And that's where my story sort of changes because I then had my first baby at 20. So it was like really, really young. And then I had such an issue of getting employed again. I literally went to interviews and I kid you not, like entire interviews for professional companies and corporations where they literally asked me the whole interview centered around what would I do with my kids in various scenarios? If my kid was ill, what would I do? Like basically, how could I keep showing up for work? And it was, and I felt like I'd had this thing tattooed in my forehead, liable to breed again, which was like, we can't put you in a management position type thing. Eventually, I did get a job offer, and the job offer, I seriously believe that there was like about 10,000 missing from the enumeration package. And I thought, no. So I went into the company and I had a wee chat with them. I went into the store and had a chat with them and discovered that they had, they were hiring me for assistant store manager, but they had not hired a store manager, which they were missing, and they had not hired an admin assistant. So they really wanted to pay me like really bad money and literally have me do the role of three people. And I was like, no. Um, and then it got like really, really mad. And um, when I get mad, um, I've always had the ability to channel anger. I think anger is a very underrated and powerful human emotion. And so I got pissed and I was like, and when I got pissed, my feathers fluffed up and I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to sort this. And I had seen a shop in um, the February and jokingly I said to my mum, that's such a cute shop because it was like the traditional shop, two windows and the door in the middle, you know, in our little town that we lived in at the time. And I thought, you know, and I had seen that in the February. Well, in October of 1999, I opened my first business yeah. on a budget of three and a half thousand pounds. That bought me my stock, that paid for my rent, that pain, paid for the paint, shop fittings, everything. Like I literally stretched that budget to the max. I blagged as much free stock as I could um, to basically begin my business. And then I, um, within uh, a year, I built my first six-figure business and I was 23 years old and I built my first six-figure business from scratch on an initial investment of three and a half thousand pounds. 
And between the ages of 23 and 26, I built four six-figure and multiple six-figure businesses. So that initial shop, which was, I just, and the most, the strangest thing is I can't even believe it because I had like three and a half grand and I'm still trying to work out how I did it because it was a designer clothing shop. So like that also bought my stuff. So you can imagine that a, we did discount designer where I sell Ralph Lauren, that kind of things that a, and I had managed to find this really cool supplier that could do like discount versions of those things overstocks and things like that is what I bought in for my shop and I, I just built it up and then I added a shoe shop and then I added a cafe a licensed bistro and cafe and then because all of that was not challenging enough I also added a spiritual events company on that as well so and then I worked in all of that for a decade and and I worked, I didn't work on my businesses. I worked in my businesses. So really putting the graft in, which I do not recommend. And I hit a huge burnout, massive burnout. And that was the beginning of my spiritual awakening. Mm. So speaking of spiritual awakenings, I just want to know, did you, as a child, because I know you are a medium, a gifted medium, was that something that you felt that you as a child or growing up did you feel any calling to that or was it just not something you were aware of at all no super aware as a child so as a child I had a really challenging childhood because of it because when I was younger I couldn't tell the living from the dead so I would see these people that I then later began to call the wispy people and the wispy people for me were people that were you know they were semi-translucent and so um, when I was younger, I thought they were just like ordinary folk. So, you know, I would say to people, I said, when I started speaking, I would say to people like, oh, your grandmother's so nice. They'd be like, my grandmother's dead. And I'm like, no, she's not. She's standing right here. And then I would relay messages and stuff. So by the time I was six, I'd been chucked out of a uh, Sunday school uh, for giving um, a message to the priest from his dead mother. And so, uh, yeah, it was really challenging. And then by the time I was nine, I was really suppressing my spiritual gifts, really pushing them down. And all I really wanted was just to fit in at that point in time. And the only gift that I couldn't suppress was my spiritual sight. So I've always had the ability to see colors around people, to see energy flitting in and around the world. It's, there's always lots of energy and colors moving around everything. And I've always had the ability to see that with the naked eye. So um, at nine, I managed to kind of shut down which you know this I mean this is the sort of stuff that can have you locked up the voices because I would hear spirit and I would sense spirit I would feel spirit I would know things I would have clear cognitive so I would just simply know something I remember um, when my mum started working in in um, my mum started working in this restaurant as accountant and there was this guy that worked there and I I just took one look at him and I said promise me something mum and she said, well, and I said, you have to swear on my life. And she was like, and I said, swear you will never be alone with this man. And my mom said, why? And I said, I can't tell you why. I just know never, ever be alone with him. And it turns out he was a waiter in the restaurant. And it turns out that he was actually a serial sex offender. 
you know, and I made my mom promise, but I, I didn't know why. I just knew that if you were female, you were not to be alone with this man. And it was just a knowing. And there was no explanation. There was no rack. He was uber pleasant to me, uber pleasant to my mum. He was not an unpleasant person. I, there was no rational explanation, but I knew. And it took six yeah. months before that came to light. So I'm curious about your mother. And like, mm -hmm. does she have these gifts as well? How did she respond to you, like having them? Was she supportive and protective of that? Or was that something that she felt, um, I don't know, threatened or concerned or worried about? No, I, I'm really, really lucky. So I, I am, I'm, I'm really lucky in the, the fact that both my parents were very, very open-minded to things like ESP and stuff like that. And they were really open-minded about that. And my mum and dad had a really kind of like very eclectic friends group. So, you know, they, they were friends with like the undersecretary of the UN and they were friends with the busker down the street because my dad was a musician and, and also an artist, you know. And, but then they were also friends with like the royal physician in Stockholm for the royal family. And, you know, so they had this really weird eclectic group. And part of that group was this group of university professors that basically studied ESP and, a, wow. you know, studied a basically phenomenon. Um, and stuff and I, I believe that apparently there is some footage of me literally when I'm very young giving messages to these people um from the beyond <laughs> and they're amazing that's so amazing because I think you know like your soul chose the right parents then <laughs> yes. yeah exactly. I mean I believe that my parents came in with a you know have, I believe that we all choose the right parents to give us lessons and that lessons aren't always pleasant for people you know and I think like that. But on that part, I can definitely say that I was never belittled or poo-pooed. My mom would always say, oh, that's interesting. You know, and if I wanted to say more, I would keep speaking. I was never felt like I was shut down of like, don't be so ridiculous. You're making that up. I was never, ever did I receive that. And for that, I'm internally grateful because I received a lot of that from the outer world. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and um, really young on, my love of science developed. And the reason my love of science developed was that I had a choice. I was either batshit crazy, right? And everything was literally all in my head. Or I was, you know, or there was a scientific explanation for what was happening to me. You know, and that for me was that was and I thought you know what I I know I'm not crazy I know that that I, this is I know this is real and I know that there must be an explanation for this and so for me it was really really like exploring that and beginning to explore that through a scientific lens and starting to see and I found an explanation for literally everything I mean um, I remember the first time that I found the, the law of thermodynamics, for instance, of energy once created cannot be changed. It, can, uh, it cannot be destroyed. It can only be changed and it can only change form. And realizing, oh, that explains the wispy people. Yeah. Because they've literally just changed form. But the energy that that body contained continues to live. And the law of thermodynamics literally supports this. 
And so I I remember just kind of really just hunting for explanations for everything. Um, realizing that the visible spectrum of light that human beings uh, see um, and realizing also as well how arrogant we are as humans because of our five senses and realizing that our five senses tell a 1% story. So our five senses tell a 1% story. We hear less than 1% of the audible spectrum. That's why dogs can hear more than we do. They hear a larger percentage of the audible spectrum than a human being does. So we hear less than 1%. Um, we see 1% of all visible light. So that means 99% we're not seeing. And so I used to love saying to people, you know, when they said, oh, hey, I don't believe in all that. And I would be like, well, you know, here's the thing. A dragon or a unicorn or even a mermaid could be standing right next to you right now. And if they are outside the audible spectrum and if they're outside your visible spectrum, you would have no idea that they're literally standing right next to you right now. And so because your five senses are only processing 1%. So um, I started to realize that there is people and then I and then I got obsessed with history and I started to realize that there's people like me throughout history. The oracles of Delphi are probably some of the most famous seers. Uh, here up here in Scotland, we have a very, very famous seer called the Brand Seer, who predicted roads over 400 years before the first actual roadways. He said um, his prediction was um, in, um, he said that in the future, Scotland will have ribbons of black running all across her. And upon these ribbons, horseless carriages will ride at speeds that we can only imagine. Wow. That's cars on tarmac roads. Yeah. You know? But explained in language where we don't even have the language for what that seer was seeing. And so I realized that this was, you know, something that was there. Um, and during the time that I was building my businesses, the spirit world was always my place of solace. Okay. So when things were going horribly, which often they did, I, because I had a lot of unhealed like wounds and stuff from I'm like this. So I took so much stuff personally, you know, I, people like, you know, employees messing you around, stuff like that. Like I took all of that to heart. I literally wore my heart on my sleeve. And then even people like customers and stuff, we had a lot of really amazing customers. But then there were some people that thought they, in the, sh in the clothing shop, thought that they could wear the clothes and then try and return the clothes. And like, I would take all of that stuff, like so personally, like it was a personal attack on myself, you know? So that made everything really, really like very difficult. But the place I always returned to was meditation and spirit. And um, I think my bank manager back then would be horrified to know how many decisions I made with the tarot deck. <laughs> so you reached this point and you said, and I think for some people, they might be interested when you said, I was working in the business, not on the business. Just explain what that difference is for people who might be listening. Might Absolutely. Be that concept. So working on the business is where you're holding an overview over everything and that you're holding the vision for the business and you're maybe um, 
delegating things that need to be done. Now, when you are a person of one, there is a certain amount of needing to work in the business where you're actually at the you know, at the rock face, so to speak, at the proverbial rock face, chipping away. But we can still work on the business and not in the business, even if we are a person of one. And the difference is, is how we are looking and treating the business. When we're in the business, it's like you're not too busy. You're too busy to stop, right? So you're not using consciousness to make your decisions. You're just, you're like firefighting. You're reactive. You're like, stuff's coming in and you're like, oh, I've got to do something about this. And so it's very intense when we're working in the business as opposed to on the business. When we're working on the business, we're taking time, we're um, thinking strategically, we're using reasoning, we're using higher consciousness, higher functions of our brain. But when we're doing it, like working in, it's kind of very reactive state of being. And so you don't get time to, and you miss opportunities when you're working in the business. Yeah. I think this is such an important conversation because I feel like for so many soul-led entrepreneurs, we start out, you know, we have some passion, we have something that we want to share. We set up some sort of business, whether it's a shop, whether it's an online business, whether it's whatever it is. And with within a short amount of time, we find like we're just stuck doing the thing. You know, like we might be making money, but we're just now making money. And we're not, and we're getting exhausted. And so you said yourself, you ended up having burnout. Huge burnout. I I mean, I say night to people, hustle is for people who don't know how to flow. My first four businesses were all built from the energy of hustle. Because that was, I was convinced that's how you get ahead in life. And I hadn't, I've never been shy of work. I've never been work shy. So I was like, you need to work hard for money. Okay, I got this. I'll roll up my sleeves. I'll do what it takes. So I worked in my businesses, not on my businesses. I didn't ever pull out and look at things and be more strategic. Instead, I was just firefighting all the time. And I was proud of my hustle. And I thought people that didn't hustle were a bit of a loser. You know, and that was the, the, that was the thought process back then. Now, I wholeheartedly stand by hustle is for people who don't know how to flow. And now I, so when I hit my burnout, my burnout was massive. I'm literally lucky to be alive. So my burnout happened about 15 years ago now, coming up about 15 years. And I collapsed at home with multiple organ failure. Wow. And every soft tissue organ in my body began failing. And I was told to write my letters to my young children. I had two at the time and I was told to write my letters to them and I was told to prepare my family for my passing. And I went down this really strange like rabbit hole of like starting to mentally prepare and thinking, oh, I wonder if my mum could take my shops over because she was like an accountant and and she was doing our books and things. And I thought, well, I wonder if she could take our shops over and like maybe pay my husband a wage so he can keep the family going and and I started like, I was halfway down that rabbit hole by the time I caught myself and was like, what, what the fuck are you doing? And I'm like, is this how you want your story to end? And I thought, no, this is not how my story ends. And it, the moment I said it, I was like, this is not how my story ends. I just, I like literally grabbed hold of my own energy and was like, we are not going out like this. We are not going to fade in a hospital bed. Um, with a million machines trying to 
get your organs to work. We're just not going to go live like this. And once I made that decision, I was just looking for a sign to get out of hospital. And um, and my liver function showed some improvement on about day 11. And I, I said, right, that's it. And I just, even though I was still had breathing tubes and lots of things, I was like, I'm leaving. And they were like, no, you can't leave. We can't, we can't send anything with you. Or we can't send a nurse out to you. No, you can't leave. And I said, no, I'm, I'm leaving. I'm prepare my papers. I'm signing myself out. And then the doctors came rushing and about three doctors tried to persuade me to stay. And I was like, no, because these people had told me I was going to die. And I literally needed to get, just get the hell away from them mm-hmm. because I needed to be around people that were expecting me to live like my kids and my husband. And so for me, it was all about, even back then, even though it was all, it was all happening very instinctively, I now see through the lens of the work that I do now is very much like how much that was mindset. I just needed to be around the right people people that believed that I would live as opposed to the people who believed that I was going to expire. And I was like, I wasn't ready to go. And it was absolutely not how my story was going to end. And so, I mean, I staggered out of that hospital. I was so weak. Um, I hadn't been able to digest any food in over like 11 days by that time and stuff. So I was, I, I was not in a great state. And I, I got home and the only way that I, I was really labor breathing. And so we had these patio doors in the living room and I got my husband to push the couch next to the patio doors. And I lay down on the couch with a big blanket and I was like, and we, and it was October and we cracked the patio doors and there's air was coming in so that I was getting like extra air. And of course we live in the Highlands, so the air quality is so good. And that was just like how I was breathing at that point. And I was, and in between, you know, moments of consciousness, because I was very tired and, and drifting in and out of consciousness. And in the moments of consciousness, I got my journal out and I wrote probably one of the most scariest things I've ever written in that journal. And it was extreme self-abuse got me here. And I realized in that moment, um, I began focusing on the solution and I thought the only way that I am going to get out of here is extreme self-love and it would have to be extreme self-love because extreme self-abuse had got me there and my drug of choice hadn't been alcohol or drugs. My drug of choice had been working. I was a workaholic and it was the first time that I really, really admitted that I had been a workaholic and in my, my drug of choice was work. And I am. So when you had that moment of clarity and you saw like, this is. Yeah. And it was a really, really What were the steps to actually creating change? Because obviously you had this identity of being this workaholic. You'd had a business running it for all these years and being in that mode. And no doubt you were in flight or fight mode. You were highly most of the time. So what, what did it actually, like, what was the tangible steps that you took to actually change that? Or, or was it not necessary after you saw it? What no, no, no. God, it was really necessary, the tangible steps. So the, the first thing was, as I wrote, extreme self-love. And then I just remember feeling absolutely bereft because I did not know the first thing about self-love. 
I, the beyond a bubble bath, I literally did not know what self-love looked like. This is a great title for a book, by the way, Beyond the Bubble Bath. <laughs> beyond the Bubble Bath, yes. Yeah, right. I think that should be your next book, Beyond the so, Bubble Bath. I, I began kind of like really kind of like thinking about what would be the the first step and and through my realization the first realization that I had was that I would need to get selfish Mm. and it really really filled me with horror because my my father was actually a narcissist and quite a selfish man and the idea that I would have to exhibit a behavior that he exhibited, it was really intense because I was like, I had been people pleasing and overgiving for years. And I, which is also contributing to the workaholic as well, of really always being there, always being the one, always push, push, push. And, and so this whole realization of like, I'm going to have to get selfish and, and, I was like, oh my God. Um, and so what that realization was followed with was, well, if I'm going to have to get selfish to survive this, I'm going to have to start listening to myself. And so that became the second step. So the first step was really to get selfish. And the first step in my, in my book, Get Selfish, that I wrote, which is the title of my book, it's the process that I literally did. The first process of that process was to really identify getting selfish. And then the second process of that was to create space for healing. And um, my spirit team, Skylar, gave me a really cool like, a vision of a hot oven. And if you place your hands on the hot oven, you have no chance of healing that hand until the hand is removed off the hot oven. And what I realized was that I had a lot of hot ovens in my life. I, my relationship with my father was a source of massive stress and was extremely triggering for me. We couldn't stay in a room longer than half an hour without arguing over something, which was really, really stressful. And so that was one of what I call life's hot ovens. And I had other hot ovens as well where it kept me in constant either emotional pain. And, and the thing is that, you know, it's so logical if you put your hand on an oven and, and it's hot and it starts burning and hurting you, you take your hand off immediately. You don't have to keep it there. Unfortunately, we don't treat emotional pain like that as human beings. So when we're in emotional pain, what we do is we're like, we'll start negotiating with the pain, right? Um, so... A classic example for some people, not everybody, but it's like the mother-in-law, right? And they'll go, well, just stay for half an hour. But deep down in your soul, you know, this is going to be painful. This is going to be emotionally painful. This is going to hurt. But you're willing to negotiate with emotional pain. So part of getting selfish for me was becoming unwilling to negotiate with emotional pain. The pain means one thing and one thing only. This will hurt. And so either I'm making a choice for pain or I'm making a choice to not have pain. And therefore, I would have to pick the one that would basically be the choice for not for pain if I did not want to be in pain. And so that was the process. And then becoming self-aware and really aware of oneself and aware. And I realized one of the things that I realized was that 
as human beings, we are addicted to lying to ourselves. So just like we're willing to negotiate with our pain and lessen our pain or, or dismiss the fact that we might be in emotional pain or the situation may cause emotional pain. And we'll be like, oh, yeah, but it's all right. We'll just stay half an hour and, and you know, and, and just one cup of tea and then we're going, you know, and the negotiation of that. But what I realized is that we also lie to ourselves as well. So one of my biggest lies that I told was that I was self-employed, which was true. But the lie that I told was that I was living the dreams. I can create my own hours. And I can work when I want. That was the lie that I was telling because I was literally the worst boss I'd ever had. I was relentless. I was not allowed to finish early. I was not allowed to start late in the morning. You know, I was a relentless boss to myself. And so therefore, that was one of the, the sort of lies. And I realized that as human beings, we often tell these lies uh, and believing that they're truth and thinking, you know, oh, yes, I'm living the dream. But somewhere along the lines, that dream had turned into literally a living nightmare where I had a young family and I was working 72 hours a week every week and took no holidays. Because yeah. the business always came first. Yeah. So what did you do on a practical level? Did you close those businesses? Did you sell those businesses? I sold my shops. We had already, uh, at that point, we'd already closed the cafe and actually expanded the designer clothing shops into the space that the cafe had been in. The shoe shop, I had a 50% business partnership. So I sold that and I had sold that earlier. And then I sold my shops. So I had three shops and I sold two of them and one of them was closed. And then the spiritual events company was the only one that I kept because the spiritual events company was like a pop-up events. And I still needed to earn some income. And I thought, even though I was very ill afterwards and had a lot of chronic illness after that, I was like, if we do a mediumship event, for instance, it would be, we'd open the doors at seven and we would finish that event around about sort of half past nine. And I was like, sure, I can fake it for two and a half hours that I'm feeling okay. And, and so that's what I did. But it meant that we would create one event. And because I could, it was just at the beginning of sort of like the era of Facebook and stuff like that. So I could market my event on Facebook and places like that. And I could market my event on social media. So in that way, it meant that I could lay in my PJs or lay in my couch. And, and if I wasn't feeling great, I could still kind of like keep a hand down and market my business. But I had really, really committed to this road of working in ease, joy, and flow. And uh, of course, the first place that I went back for me was spirit. And I let spirit guide my journey. Of, and I really just surrendered to spirit of letting them guide the journey. And they guided me back to my health and they guided me back to my healing. And, and when I got to the end of that journey, I was doing readings for people. So I was doing like tarot. I was working as a professional medium alongside the spiritual events company. And so I was doing a few readings here and there. And they were like an hour at a time and things like that. So I felt really manageable with my energy at the time. And I had this policy that you could only have a reading with me six months apart. Because otherwise I was just telling people the same thing again, you know. And even if I didn't remember what I'd said to them the last time, if things hadn't shifted that much, it would be almost identical stuff that would come through the channel. So I was like, no, you have to have at least six months or 
at the very least four months if you've had significant changes in your life then I would let them come about two hours two two months earlier and I had clients you know they would book on the dot six months you know and they would want to come back and get a reading but some of those clients had additional need they would be oh can you not give me a reading again next week I just feel so much better when I come here and I and one of the clients that I had was a woman that was suicidal and I really really feared for her she was in a really really bad place and it was the first thing that I saw in her energy it was and I and she had two young girls and um she asked me after the reading if she could come back next week and I began to say no because I had that policy in place but I just watched her energy field begin to implode on itself and I thought god I can't I can't do this so I said here's the thing I'll make a deal with you come back next week and I'm going to teach you this thing I cannot give you another reading because it's just not ethical but here's what I would do is I will teach you this thing that will help you and we'll do the first session for free and if you like it you can come back and book further sessions and so she was like right okay and so she came back the next week and um, I taught her the law of attraction I taught her how to use her thoughts to begin to change her life and the next week after that she came back again and she bounced through the door and she had started to really really shift her life after about four months of sessions when she was coming to see me weekly and after about four months of sessions she convinced she basically um confessed to me that she was going to drive off the bridge that day she was going to come from my reading to my house and have the reading and then she was going to kill herself that day basically and that she's so grateful that she met me and she I just feel so emotional I tell the story and that you know that her little girls have literally got a mom and she went on to create a life by design and she went on to a it was so it was so funny, like there were so many incredible lessons for me as well in that as well. So that's how my first life coaching client came along. Like okay. that's literally how my first coaching client came along. It was completely kind of like accidental and yet so meant to be. And then a very similar story with my next coaching client, somebody who was in a really, really bad place, came for a reading and I was like, listen, I can't ethically just like give you another reading. Like it's, you know, but what if I teach you how to feel better and feel good about yourself and to begin to powerfully change your life, things I've used to change my life. And I teach you it and like, let's do a session for free. And then if you like it, you can keep coming back. And that's how my first kind of life coaching practice began. And from that, it was every single client, I learned something from that client in working with them. And I and I always worked with the way that I always worked was what had worked for me in my process of Get Selfish. And the book, Get Selfish, actually got its name through that process of working with these clients because every single client that I described the process to would gasp and be horrified. And they would say, but that's so selfish. And I'm like, lady, if I ever write a self-help book, it will be called Get Selfish, is what I would joke with them and say. And and then years later, I did it and I wrote the book. And I, of course, I had only one name. It was Get Selfish, The Way Is Through. Because 
that's what it was. But, but a lot of these women were so out of alignment with themselves, like I had been, people-pleasing, overgiving, working from the energy of resentment, working from the energy of feeling hard done by or feeling like they got the short end of the stick, you know, working from all of these like really, really funky energies and then wondering why the universe kept showing up with these funky energies again. Um, and so all I did really with these women was really working on reconnecting them back to source and letting them have a relationship. And I, and sometimes I would have to kind of like sell angels to them. So I always used to sell angels to people who didn't believe in angels and didn't believe in stuff. And so what I would say is like, I've got this thing. I want you to try it, but it's going to sound weird, you know, because they were like, maybe like not into the spiritual stuff at all. And I was like, I want you to ask your angels for help. But listen, before you go, I roll and go, oh, not me, not for me. I said, you're really worried about this situation. And they go, yeah. And I said, okay, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to go home. I want you to light a candle. I want you to take a couple of deep cleansing breaths. I want you to literally just say, guardian angel, I ask you to come and help me in this situation. And then describe the situation that you want them to help you with. Okay. And then you're just going to sit for just a little while and watch the candle and just chill and like this. And he says, and listen, even if you think it's weird, you can't lose. Because either you've just spent 10 minutes asking your angel, which meant 10 minutes that you weren't worrying about the problem and nothing happens, but you still got 10 minutes where you weren't worrying about the problem. Or your guardian angel fully pulls out the bag, shows up and helps you, in which case, winner, winner, chicken dinner. So my clients would go off and, and then they would come back and they'd be like, the freakiest thing happened or this happened and you know miracles began unfolding for them because when we do ask our guardian angels they do show up they have to be invited to the party we've been given free will and they will respect that free will until we stop and say hey i would really like your help here and so a lot of them began and one of the other things that was really incredible was so many of my clients ended up stepping into their spiritual gifts you know, they started opening up their intuition. They started living from an intuitive sense in life and began to be guided by that intuition and guided by that way of being and living. And it just moved them back in tune with who they are because they just lived for years outside the truth of who they are, piling on more and more and more onto their plates until they were so overwhelmed that they didn't know really which way was up or which way was down. And I could totally empathize with that. I'd been there, worn the hat, got the t-shirt and the DVD, you know, and it was. Yeah. Oh, I love that so much. I want to ask you just about money, because obviously your other book is The Million Dollar Experiment. And with something that you say in this book, you said, I get really excited about the topic of money because I believe there is no greater tool to teach us so many things. And could you just yeah. <laughs> could you just illuminate a little bit about this? Because obviously so many people have this idea that money is not spiritual, good people don't care about money, people who are motivated by creativity or by healing or by these things shouldn't be bothered about money because it's not a spiritual thing. It's not a good thing. So can you just talk a little bit about your journey with money 
and why you think it's such a great tool. Oh, it's amazing. Amazing. So I channel a collective consciousness called Skylar who I teach through me and most of my teachings and really my books are kind of co-created with them. And Skylar calls money the one of the greatest spiritual teachers on our planet at this time. And I fully, fully agree with that statement. And I wouldn't have always agreed with that statement, but I do now fully, fully agree with that statement. So, and my goodness, there is nothing like money to start the wheat from the shaft. You know, like it really, really is. First of all, money has a lot of traits that source has. So source's energy is always giving and always expanding. So money in itself tends to be what I call an expander energy. So if you're a good person, with the resource of money, you can be even better. You can do more. You can help more people. It will expand that trait inside of you. If you're literally a bit of an asshole, money will also expand that trait in you. So literally, it will expand the trait, right? That is you. At the end of the day, through all my research around money and all of my investigation of money, one of the things that I really come to know is that all money, money issues come down to one issue. It's a self-trust issue. If you fundamentally know like you know like you know like you know that you are a good person, why would you fear having a lot of money? Why would you fear that money is evil or money is bad or money is terrible or money will corrupt you, right? If you truly totally believe in the essence and trust yourself, trust yourself wholly, completely, fully, why would money be such a freaking issue, right? It wouldn't. But the thing is, the reason we feel all squiffy and weird around money is that it highlights all the areas we don't trust ourselves. It highlights all the places. If you got a big pot of money handed to you, who are you going to be? And most people's internal, real, truthful answer to that would be, I don't really know. So then it would be, well, can I be trusted with that? Because if we fundamentally knew that we were a good person, we might be at our current financial level and be like, I feel like I'm a good person, right? I feel good. I feel like I do good things. I think I care about other human beings. I care about people. I care about the world that we live in and the environment and all of the things. And then add some money into the mix and holy moly, wrap your popcorn, people, because there's a whole thing that starts going on in people's heads, right? It's self-trust at the end of the day. It doesn't matter which way you cut and dry. It comes out to self-trust. Can you trust yourself to still be a good person with a large pot of money? And that's what it comes down to. So really, at the end of the day, what money does is it, it's such, not only is it a tool. I remember the first time I heard this from a, a spiritual teacher called Wallace Wattles, who wrote a book a hundred years ago now, actually, called The Science of Getting Rich. And uh, he basically... In that book, it triggered me so hard when I first read that book. And, and why it triggered me was that he said that you literally can't reach, and, you know, certain things in this life without money. And I remember feeling so triggered by that statement because at that point in time, I had zero money. So I was like, very triggered by this. And I was like, and I hated the idea that some of the world would be closed to me because of my financial status. It, it, it rubbed me the wrong way and it triggered me a lot. But what I realized is through 
realizing that my triggers highlight the unloved parts of myself and my triggers are my teachers. And they are also one of the greatest spiritual teachers that we have access to on a daily and consistent basis. Whatever is creating strong reactions inside of you is a spiritual teacher for you if you're willing to learn and be the student. And I was willing to learn and I was willing to be the student. So I looked the triggers that I had and I thought, why do I feel like this? And, and I realized that I had a fear that I may never be wealthy. And so I decided to work on addressing that fear of realizing. What I realize now is that money, for me, what money means is choice. With more money, you just simply have more choices. And you can choose what you truly want. Um, you know, sometimes, and again, it comes back to this, we human beings lie to ourselves. How do you know? If you go to your wardrobe, for instance, this is a super simple exercise. You go to your wardrobe. Is your wardrobe filled with the clothes that you truly desire? Or are they filled with the clothes that fit your current budget? Right? And you won't actually know the answer until the budget for your clothing is infinite. Of what you truly achieve. Would it all be high-end designer brands? Or are you okay with a t-shirt from Gap? Well, you might say, well, I'm really good with a t-shirt from Gap right now. But the thing is, do you really, really know that for sure until we're in the other end of the spectrum and we could have everything is actually an actual choice? At that point, we really get to know ourselves. So for me, money is a tool that helps us to really, truly know ourselves, to realize our dreams and our desires. It is a tool that we can use to help others with. It is a tool that can be liberated and liberate people. And yet, some people wield money like a weapon to hurt others, you know? But that's what money highlighted for them. So you actually ran an experiment one year, this book, I guess. Was this book, did the book come before the experiment or did it actually? I wrote the book for the experiment. So that okay. everybody who entered the experiment, so we went viral with this experiment. Yeah, tell me about it the came, experiment because I love this. So yeah. it was in 20, so in the end of 2029, I, I decided that I was ready for a seven-figure year. And I, I said to Spirit, I have this prayer that's part of the Native American prayer. And a, the Native American prayer is, make me your hollow bone, right? And the prayer is to be a channel for something. That's why they pray and say, make me your hollow bone. And so I said, okay, I, this is what I desire, Spirit. I desire to have a, a seven-figure year. But um, I practice this other energy called the great exchange, which is that you, if you want something, you desire something from the universe, you can rock up to the universe and exchange an energy for that. So I said to the universe, hey, I would really like to do a seven-figure year, and I'm willing to enter the great exchange. So make me your hollow bone. Put three channels through me, whatever it is. So I was on a call with a client, and she was just having a tough day right? And we all had those. But she was like, I'm never going to make money. She was really, really like, we've all gone to the dark night of the money soul, right? And, and been there. So I said to her, she was an American client. So I said, go and get a dollar. I said, have you got a dollar? And she said, yes. Yeah. So let's go get that dollar and let's bring it back. So she runs off to her purse, gets the dollar. So she's sitting on her Zoom call with this dollar in her hand. She's like, what now? And I said, if I told you, 
to take that dollar, buy something for a dollar and then sell it for $2. And you kept doing that. So you you buy something for $2 and then sell it for how many times do you think you would need to do that before you reached a million? So she was really having a tough day. So she was like, I don't know, probably like 5,000, you know? And I said, well, would it surprise you that the actual number is 20? You would only need to do it 20 times. And she was like, what? I said, do you understand that right now, while you think that you're a million, million, million miles away from any decent amount of money, that you're actually only 20 steps away from being a millionaire by holding that dollar. So she was like, oh my God, this is crazy. And I was like, I know, right? So I said, I want you to pin that dollar somewhere and I want you looking at it and knowing that you're only 20 steps away. You're only ever 20 steps away. The illusion that there is so much lack in this world is an illusion. We are told that millions, a million dollars are so far away when the truth is only 20 steps from a dollar. Like, so chill, right? You got this. And not only that, you can actually have your intuition guide you on how you can make it happen, right? So like you come with extras. All humans come with extras. It's like time we use them. So she left that call, as you can imagine, an absolute hide. But it, it, it reminded me of a book that I had began writing eight years earlier and abandoned. So I went digging on my hard drive to see if I could find this book. And I found the book and I had written 22,000 words for this book already. So it was quite a sizable chunk already written. And I read the book and I thought, I read what I'd written already. And I was like, this was freaking good stuff. This is genius. You know, because it had this 20-step plan and it was all about like how you can climb the mountain and that you need, to, now you've got your list of base camps. So like each, you know, turning each dollar is your base camps. But I might as well have given you like the base camps of Mount Everest because you won't be ready to make the climb until you get your mindset like squared away, right? And we'll have to, and that's where the big training is. And you don't just rock up to Everest and go like, let's do it. It's months of training sometimes. Like we train our brain to be able to achieve such a feat and even our physical body to achieve such a, a feat. So that was how the kind of book, the, what I had already in the book. And so that night I went to bed and as I sat on my bed, I said, Spirit, show me what I'm meant to do with this. Because I feel like there was no accident today that that client jogged my memory of this book that I began writing. And I was also having this like sort of twilight music playing in the back of my head going do, 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 because I, when I began writing that book, I had no knowledge of the online world and how to build an online business at that point in time. And by the time that I recalled that book, I had multiple courses. I had already done multiple six figures in my online business. So I was like, oh my God, like I am so ready for this now. Like what's it meant to be? So the next morning I woke up and I put my first foot on the floor. And by the time my second foot landed on the floor, the complete download had arrived for the million dollar experiment. Mm -hmm. And the whole thing, like, I knew what the branding would look like. I knew what it was called. I knew that everybody would get this book. I knew that they would get 52 lab notes. So they would get a lab note for every um, every week of the year. Um, and the lab notes were like mindset experiments and things to prove that their mind literally creates their reality. Yeah. Um, and then I knew that I would do a podcast and it was how my podcast was born. And I knew that um, 
I would do this podcast and that we would do a series on the podcast called the Million Dollar Lab Series, where I would interview 52 millionaires and uh, self-made millionaires and basically ask them how they did it. And I called that podcast the Millionaire Marinade so that people could like marinate in the vibes of that. So I thought, okay, and well, and I knew that I wanted, and I, but then the, the biggest pause was the price that Spirit had given me for that, which was $25 for a year-long container. <laughs> and I literally thought I was going to have like a kitten because I was already selling like horses at a multiple thousand. So who was like, you want me to do what now? Like a year container? Like, are you, are you high? And Spirit was like, nope, $25. And not only that, we want you to run an affiliate program as well. And give 50% away. And I was like, so I was like, okay, am I just going to have to get back to you? Let me just sit with my own energy to know that. And this is a process that I use from Get Selfish. I never do anything unless I'm completely squared away in my own energy. Because I refuse to work from overworking, overgiving. I refuse to work from the vibes of resentment or any of those energies that so many people do work from. But after I went through the whole thing of nearly dying of multiple organ failure and all of the stuff, I'm like, no, I, this woman does not work like that anymore. So I knew I had to be like what I call squeaky clean in my energy. I had to be super clean in my energy that I was okay with this. So I sat and at first I thought, well, what if 50 people sign up? Like, are you going to be cool with holding space for them for a year? And I was like, no, I'm not, not cool with that. That does not feel like a fair exchange. And I thought, okay, so the number that I got was 200. And I looked at my community that I'd already built and I had over like a thousand enrolled students and I had over 2000 people on my email list at the time. And I thought, is there 200 people that would want to give this a whirl, this million dollar experiment, an experiment in mindset to see if mindset and intuition along with a million dollar plan can make you a millionaire in just one year. And I thought, yeah, surely there's 200 people that want to get a little bit crazy with me and like go down this rabbit hole and like just explore basically this whole thing. So I decided, okay, so I said, Spirit, I'm going to do it. But there is this woman that used to work for me and I would love to have her working for me again. So like if that happens, I'm, I'm all in, like I'm all in. So anyway, that lady phoned me just to see how we were doing. It was just New Year. Um, and it was, so it was end of 2019, beginning of 2020. So she phoned me and I said, oh, how's it going? She's like, great. And I was like, how's the work going? And she's like, oh, don't even talk to me. And, and she had a boss that was like really, really micromanaging her. And she is just so not a person that you micromanage. She's a person you give the project to and she goes and runs with it, you know? So, which is why I wanted her to kind of work for me. So I said, you're not open to another job, are you? And she's like, well, what you got? So I went out to Edinburgh and met her. And I gave her the copy um, of what I'd written so far in the book. And I said, this is the project. This is what we're going to be working on. It's called the Million Dollar Experiment. And she read it. And she was like, oh, my God, this is like actual genius. Like, I think I could be a millionaire as well. I was like, absolutely. So we did a soft launch in August of 2020 um, and began 
getting people in for the 1st of January start of 2021. And then we had our proper launch on the 1st of September. Then I made a rather embarrassing video with me crying. Hey, we've got 600 participants. But Spirit wasn't even finished with us at that point in time. Um, the number that we ended up with was um, 4,300 people said yes to this. It went completely, wow. utterly viral. Um I had a client write to me and go, my estate agent just contacted me and asked if I'd heard of this person called Joanna Hunter because they'd been offered this million dollar thing. I was literally everywhere. Um, And it was like really, really fun. And um, I started the 1st of January with a $32,000 day. And that January was $175,000 a month. Um, on it, and you know, I had three consecutive hundred k launches, so it was that became the million dollar experiment became my first hundred k launch. Wow! And we started the with experiment a, with a twenty five dollar offer. With a twenty five dollar offer, price didn't go up. The price did not go up at that point. Um, after on the third of January, the price went up um at that point but we had like hardly anybody joining us after that so it was like the 25 and then that was that and we began a we began the experiment so uh, 1500 people showed up live on the first live stream we had said that the dress code was their dollar their pound or their euro bring it with you so that you could hold it in your hand and and we really made a big thing like have you got it in your hands have you got it in your hand like it's really really significant and then we revealed the million dollar plan and it literally blew people's mind and that was on the 1st of January from the 1st of January to the 3rd of January we welcomed 2300 people in during that period because as soon as we actually broke the internet our the whole thing like broke, like our cart page Gosh. and everything like stopped working. Um, yeah. PayPal couldn't process the payments fast enough because they were coming so fast. Um, it was absolutely insane. It was like one of the most exciting things I've ever done in my life. Um, and uh, eight months into the process, we had our first millionaire. Oh my God. And it was amazing. And it could not have happened to an absolute nicer person. Her name is Anka. She arrived in this country in the UK with 40 quid in her pocket from Romania and small children. Wow. Um, she was an osteopath to trade, but didn't feel like her English was good enough to be an osteopath. So she began cleaning people's homes and she started an equal cleaning business. Um, she, through sheer grit, determination and hard work, she had built her business up survived cancer wow. and she decided to do the million dollar experiment do a whirl give it a whirl her business was completely screwed because it was covid and she couldn't go to people's houses and clean and her partner had an equal driving business and he couldn't drive he drove an electrical vehicle and he couldn't drive people because of covid so basically both parents' income decimated, gone. And so she decides to pay this 25 bucks and give this a whirl. She says on her interview that I interviewed her, she said, you know, I, I thought a really unkind thought. I was like, 
a her. So it's Joanna that wants to be the millionaire, my million dollar experiment. But she's like, okay, I'll give it a whirl. She said she read that book that you've got there cover to cover four times. Um, she loved it. She just could see how it was changing her mindset and changing her mind. And as the book says, be open to opportunity. So she was sitting driving along in the car one day, just going to the supermarket. And um, she heard this guy talking about flipping properties. Like she knew nothing about flipping properties, not a single thing about it at all. And so she heard, and then he said this one thing that like was the, the sign for her was like, essentially what flipping properties is, is really giving them a really, really good clean. She was like, cleaning? I know that. So he bought properties at auctions and he basically on this interview, this radio interview, he told people what to do. So she looked him up and she got some like more advice on his free stuff that he had. And she went to the bank and saw if the bank would like lend them money. So they secured a mortgage for pending a property. She went to an auction, found a property that she wanted to buy, set herself a budget, which is what this guy had said. So her budget was 60000 She had 15000 which was literally their all their savings that they had. And remember, they've got two no incomes coming in, right? So she took a huge risk and she managed to get this property for 41000 And six weeks later, she sold it for 120. And in the period of eight months, she flipped properties to the tune of $1 million. Oh, Uh, And by the end of the year, she'd reached $1.4 million in property flips. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. It gives me goosebumps to this day. So, I mean, this is like, because I remember I was in your world when this was going on. And I don't, I think I came like after you had already launched this experiment. Mm -hmm. So, and I was always like, oh, this is so interesting. I remember you like celebrating different people who are becoming millionaires. How many ended up becoming millionaires through the experiment? We had 14 millionaires altogether. Amazing. Amazing. Celebrated That year we celebrated 105 people who had had a significant change. So basically the odds of you becoming a millionaire through my experiment was one in 287, which Ah. is like, if you look at the odds of the lottery, Compared to what we did. So we, so it was a metaphysical experiment. We were looking to prove can mindset and intuition along with a million dollar plan make you a millionaire in just one year. The fact that our odds were one in 287 people did become a millionaire was a resounding absolute yes. That that is mindset and intuition can make you a millionaire. Absolutely. 100%. And so it was really, uh, we set out to, you know, what we set out to prove is what we proved with it. But it was, there was other things that happened, like weird things that we weren't expecting. So we called those the outlier results, the results that kind of fell outside the remit of what it was. So we had a woman who had been on morphine for 20, I think 24 years. And so she, because everything that I do is about reconnecting you back to source. Source is literally the source of everything. So if you have depression, trust me when I tell you, connect back to source, it'll help to lift it. If you have money problems, connect back to source, it'll help to lift those. Like whatever issue you have, source is a solution. Like that is my one-stop shop. So literally, I just approached the million-dollar experiment in the same way, helping people to reconnect to source. So this woman had been on morphine for 24 years and she writes to me in February and she says to me, Joanna, I don't know what magic is in your experiment it, like but 
I've had to come off my medication that I've been on for 24 years and my, my back is healed. Wow. My back is healed and I don't require this medication anymore. And then in the June of that year, so the experiment had then been going for six months at that time, I got a message from a woman who actually lives locally to me. And the fun thing was with this woman, she'd actually been to like some of my like earliest seminars where I used to teach these seminars called Live Life Unlimited. And she'd been to them and she said, Joanna, I'm sat in the car park of our local hospital, the big hospital here in Inverness. So she said, I'm sat in Regmore Hospital and she can't believe it. Like I'm in a state of shock. And I thought, oh my God, what's happened, you know? And she says, I was on the organ transplant list and I, my consultant has just taken me off the organ transplant list. I no longer need an organ transplant. I took all of your advice for money and I applied it to my health Wow! instead of money. And yeah. she says, I haven't made a million dollars, but I think I've got something even better because I was told if I got an organ transplant, I would have two years to live even if I got one. And uh, so she says, but they've taken me off the organ transplant list. My my body has completely healed itself. And uh, my um, my consultant says, I don't know what to say to you other than have a brilliant and amazing life. Like, enjoy your life. Oh, <laughs> and she's like, I'm total shock and I've healed my body. And, and so we had lots of that. Mm-hmm. We had another lady who had been long-term medication. We had another lady who had had asthma since the age of 15 and been on medication daily from the age of 15. Inhalers every single day who completely and utterly came off all of her inhalers and stuff and, and things. And, and this is the power of source. Source heals everything. And so, uh, yeah. It's so really good. I have a question. As well. Are you going to run the experiment again? Because well, I felt sure you were going to do it the following year. And I was so excited to sign up for it. So I was like, I want to be a part of this experiment. I missed it that time. And you haven't run it again, have you? No, we did. We did do it one year, but we did it in a more kind of like higher end container. Because obviously we'd proved that we we're going to do it. But we keep getting asked, are we going to run the experiment? Are we going to run the experiment? And uh, we may do. We may do. But at the moment, the, there has been no plans. But... We keep getting asked about it because it was such an incredible thing. And, and for me, it was when, you know, remember when I first got all the download for this, it was pre-COVID. Mm-hmm. And so as soon as that March happened of 2020 and we went into the first lockdown here in the UK, I now then knew because immediately people started getting into jeopardy with their money. And I thought, of course, South Asperit make me your hollow bone, you know, and I knew. And that's one of the reasons why the person who became the first millionaire, Anka, um, and her family, why it was so special to me, because COVID had literally decimated their income. And they were both self-employed and they had no premises. So there was no cushy like 10K grant from the government or anything like that. It literally was no money coming in. And I knew that that's what you know, it was about, you know, it was, that's why Spirit decided on the price and that's why Spirit decided to do it as it was and things. Because right now in the world, we're told it's an economic crisis, cost of living crisis that's in the newspapers and everything like that. And I'm not making light of anyone who is affected by that, but I actually no longer believe or subscribe to things like that. 
even though people are saying, well, this is my reality, this is actually happening. But so many people subscribe to it and it becomes a reality because we create our reality through our thoughts. And when you, when I run mindset experiments like this, so I've done a few different experiments. I recently run an experiment, which I'll be running again in December, and it's called the heal experiment. So heal your abundance. So it was an experiment that we did. A, can you heal your abundance in four weeks mm-hmm. using consciousness? And, um, and we worked with a over 400 people signed up for that one. And a, and we did four weeks together which were an extraordinary four weeks of really working on their money mindset and each of the letters meant something so like each for instance was honesty and hindsight so we took them through the heal framework so there was each letter was so it was four weeks and each letter meant something so the first letter that we took them through was honesty and hindsight really getting honest with themselves and money and abundance and getting really honest um, and then also as well looking back in hindsight because a lot of people slow their roll by looking back in hindsight and beating themselves up for poor choices that they've made. And that does you no favors because that time, that energy is spent, is gone. And now you're expending your now moment energy, beating yourself up on something that you perceived as a mistake, right? And it's like, it's literally the definition of a waste of energy. Um, and so we take them through the framework to heal that and to heal themselves. And it's all about your self-relationship really at the end of the day. So, but there may be a, a million dollar experiment on the horizon. <laughs> I understand. And it's something that's been <clears throat> a massive shift for me in the last year was just this message that I got, which is follow soul, like just follow soul, like just trust. Like, don't try to be smart. Don't do things that don't feel aligned. Don't try to repeat things because they were successful in the past and think they'll be a success now or do it for that reason, but literally just follow soul. And I, I think like, obviously that's what you do and why you haven't repeated it, but maybe. When, when, I, uh, when I thought about doing the experiment again, uh, after I ran it sort of like the second year, we ran it at a higher price. And then I, you know, thought about doing it again. I got that image from the Incredibles, you know, the woman who's the designer with the glasses. Oh, yeah. And she goes, done with that, darling. We're not going that way. And I just got that, like, Bert just sent me that image. And I thought, okay, that's done for now, but maybe there's something else. And then the next thing that I got the call to was the heel experiment, which was amazing. And again, we ran the 50% affiliate fee with that as well. So the, the cool thing with the affiliate fee that we do and what I love, because so far I've blessed people to the tune of over $100,000 in my business through my affiliate programs, which I really, really love. So what I love is that if money is a barrier to coming into one of my programs like this, like the Million Dollar Experiment or the Heal program, is that you literally just, you just need to find two friends that will say yes to it as well. And you sign up first, you get your affiliate link, you give that affiliate link to your friends, they sign up, and then you literally make your money back. Uh, I love that. I, I love I love that because it just stops it being a barrier. Like money doesn't have to be the issue here. And I love doing that. And some people have introduced way more than two people where we're actually like literally paying them to be in the experiment. And that's so much fun. You know, because then they maybe create a group around it themselves. And it's a group of friends doing it or a group of colleagues doing it or something like that. So 
I love being able to offer that because I, when I first started this money mindset journey myself, I was literally living on the good old British benefit system, welfare to our American friends, and things were tough and they were hard. And I think the worst thing that nobody tells you about living on welfare benefits is that the shame that you feel sometimes or that you feel like not even quite shame, like maybe it's not maybe the right word, but like you kind of feel less than, not enough. And it really took me like into the depths of that. And I went from there to becoming a woman. So in, I, in, in 2021, I did a million dollars in sales. In how much? A million dollars in sales. We did $240,000 cash banked in 2021 and a million dollars in sales. Oh, that's so beautiful because I know also like what that means, like how many people's lives you've impacted and that ripple effect of light and goodness in the world. And it just makes me so happy. Yeah. And then on our list, we had 105 people that we read out their names of extraordinary achievements that they've made in our world from. Um, uh, in fact, you were on that list. You, I think you hit that year. You, you were at quarter of a million, I think is where you were at, which was amazing. Right. And in that, so like absolutely amazing. And, uh, in fact, it was so funny. I was just uh, decluttering my office and I, I came across the list that I had read out on the day and everybody, and I saw your name on there. Well, that's beautiful. <laughs> that makes me so happy. Makes me laugh. Yeah, so it was amazing. And yeah, we had loads of people that hit like half a million that year as well. And, you know, and when you hear their stories, they're really extraordinary. Because, I mean, like one of the ladies that hit half a million, which was extraordinary in itself, you know, her previous year was 50,000. Wow. Yeah. You know, so she had 10 x her income by joining the million dollar experiment. It was like insane. It's incredible. So I don't want to keep you all day, although I could just talk to you all day. So there's two things, though, to close this out. One is if you have one piece of advice or one piece of wisdom that you would want to share with everyone in the world, this is your opportunity to share it. Like if there's something you wish everybody in the world could know, what would it be? I always say that if I could teach just one person, one spiritual tool that would help them to transform their lives and transform every aspect of their life. And I think it's one of the most underrated tools in the world. And it's gratitude. Developing the attitude of gratitude is key to creating the life that you want. We are obsessed with thinking about everything that we don't want. The worries, the stress, the fear, the, oh my God, the mistakes, the failures, those things. We're obsessed as human beings of thinking about those things. But when we think about gratitude, there is physiological changes that happen to our physical body. Uh, people who are grateful live on average seven years longer than people who don't practice gratitude, which is kind of cool. Um, but also as well, there is chemical changes in your brain. So your brain produces more positive chemicals. Those positive chemicals create wellness and well-being in your body. But also as well, you begin to attract through the law of attraction more things to be grateful for. And so if that dream life is something that you think that you would be really grateful for or having more money is something that you think you'd be grateful for, you can't go wrong practicing gratitude. It will, if the worst case scenario will make you feel better about your day and your life, best case scenario, it'll develop your dream life. <laughs> so 
it's a win-win. And so that's my number one tip for everybody is develop the attitude of gratitude. Love that. And that's no doubt why you have written these gratitude journals. Absolutely. So we've got two, we've got two journals. We've got the gratitude journal that also has affirmations in it. And then we have a second journal that's called the 111 magic journal. And it's actually for a 111 things to do with your one and only life. So it's a bit like a bucket list of things that you've always, always wanted to do. Yeah. And then what we do is you put in what you want to do and then you put in like the date you did it how you felt, how you'd rate it out of five and all the things. And then right at the very back of the book, there's the 111 things. And then there's like a little bit of synopsis. So it's like, what is the one thing you'll never do again? You know, like you thought it was going to be great, but actually let's not do that again. And what was the thing that you would do again in a heartbeat? And what was it one that made you laugh and giggle the most? And what was the one that, you know, so it's really fun. So by the end of your completing your 111 things, not only will you have developed a bigger sense of well-being, because I think, you know, going through the get selfish process, I think for many people, they, they, they don't really live their lives, right? They exist their lives. They don't live their lives. And I think Doing things that your soul desires, doing things that your heart desires is so important for quality of life. And so the whole 111 magic list is about getting a little bit of 111 magic into your life and and just doing things that light you up and just make you feel like, yeah, really living as opposed to just existing from day to day, you know? And so, and then of course when you get through that and you're you're moving through all the things that you desire and do and and stuff like that of course you've got this amazing tool that you can look back on with deep gratitude of all the crazy yeah. stuff that you got up to and all the things that you did and i recently this year i checked off a few things that were on my list so i wanted to see the stones at kalanick the uh, standing stones at kalanick on the isle of harris and lewis so we went we went and did the Outer Hebrides and got on a boat and oh my god it was amazing but it was just so magical I brought my one woman magic journal with me and I was so magical filling that in and saying I love it and it was great I was with my hubby and we just had had the best time ever and like that and I know that I'll be able to look back on that book forevermore and relive that memory and fill my soul back up with all the light that I generated in that day you know Oh my gosh, I love that. I love that so much. And I totally agree. Amen. Do what your soul desires. Follow your passions and your bliss and let yourself have those moments and be aware of what it is that you desire. Like actually bring that into your awareness. You get to you get to do all these magical things and even the little ones, like just the little things that can feed your soul. It doesn't need to be absolutely big trips or anything sometimes it's just like small things no it can be like a walk in a forest or you know walk on a beach or you know like in my local area we have a lot of like magical stuff i always wanted to see a place called the club of cairns that is these three massive stone cairns that are surrounded by over 80 standing stones and the site is over uh, four thousand three hundred years old right it's been on like doorstep for years and it wasn't until my husband one day just randomly said, because I said, oh, I really want to go out. I really want to do something. And he's like, well, what do you want to do? And I was like, I don't really know, but I, I want to just feel like I want to do something today, you know? And so he said, well, why don't we just get in the car and go to Claba? And I said, okay. 
And I couldn't believe I had taken years to get myself there and just do it. And but when it was I was perfect, doing, I'll bet you. And it was amazing. Like, the day that I meant to be here. Yeah, exactly. And it was yeah. just like, it was just such a beautiful, like it was a beautiful autumn day and the leaves were crunching underneath our feet and there was hardly anyone at the site and it was just beautiful. And like the site's completely free to go and visit and we just have the loveliest time. And so it doesn't have to be things that cost you a lot of money and stuff like that. It can be just something that you've always desired to do this, literally on your local doorstep that you just never gave yourself permission to go and do. Yeah, I love that. So last thing, how can people find you? Where is the best place for people to connect with you? All those things, because just by the way, just as an aside, follow Joanna on Facebook. And I hope she's going to mention her Facebook because you always post the most magical posts and the most magical things and yeah facebook is definitely one of my favorite platforms to be on so i'm super simple so joannahunter.com is my website and then joannahunter c-o-m without the dot is where you can find me on all social media platforms so i made it super simple for everyone so they can find me joannahunter at joannahunter c-o-m like com on all platforms tiktok I do a lot of money stuff on TikTok. So you'll find me money stuff on TikTok. I do a lot of wisdom with Skylar and healing stuff on my Instagram and Facebook. I It's melting pot. I, whatever stirs in my soul is yeah. what I I love. You're just a natural writer. I mean, the things that you share just so often are just, boom, that's exactly what I needed to read today. That's exactly what I needed to I do. often use my prayer in the mornings. Make me your hollow bone. So what's the message today that you want to share through me? And I just let very often. So I often channel my stuff on Facebook because yeah. I just like, what is it that needs to come through today? And I just trust that that is. And I trust that when people see that message, that it will be divine timing for them and that that's what they maybe needed that day to hear or to be part of her, to be present with. So, yeah. I love it. Well, thank you so much for, for chatting with me today. I could literally chat like a thousand hours with you. And I feel like there's so many other things I want to ask you, but we will save them perhaps for another, another appearance one day in the future. I would love that. I would love that. And thank you so much, Diane, for having oh. me on the podcast. I'm absolutely chuffed to bits. I know this is a bit of a long one for people to listen to, but I, I hope you've gotten lots from it. And uh, yes, I could literally talk to you forever. Thank you. So I hope you've enjoyed this conversation with Joanna Hunter and you feel as inspired by her as I certainly do. Again, the million dollar experiment is happening. So check the show notes for your link get in there, sign up, $25. Are you going to be one of the people to become a millionaire next year? Sign up, let's do it. And also check the show notes to find out all the other information about what Joanna's up to and how to get in touch with her. She's amazing. You will love having her in your life. Thanks so much for listening. I'll see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast today. If you enjoyed it, could you do me a favor? please leave it a little review wherever you're listening to it or screenshot it and share it on your social media and tag me so I can see it. I would be so appreciative. Thanks so much. I love you and I'll see you soon.